Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On today's episode, we have Sahil Mansuri, CEO of Bravado, the largest network for sales professionals, and Kamal Alawalia, president of Eightfold.ai, a talent intelligence platform. I'm really excited to have both uh, Sahil and Kamal um, today on the call. Uh, maybe we'll start by a quick way of introduction. Um, Kamal, maybe you can start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself uh, and your company. Sure. So Kamal and I'm the president at Eightfold AI, and uh, we have built a single AI platform for all talent. So for employees, for candidates, for contractors and for citizens. And uh, we came out of stealth mode three years ago and it's been rapid growth since then. And uh, what we're looking to solve is, uh, originally the mission is right career for everyone in the world, not just the next job, but a career. And reality is that in today's environment, a lot of people will have multiple careers. So to truly understand what a job description should look like, what a resume should look like, I mean, to some extent, these are all outdated instruments, but applying our AI depth in essentially, because our founders also came from Google, YouTube, Facebook. So to apply everything that we learned in the consumer market around search, relevance, and personalization, apply that to people and jobs. So that's essentially what we are up to. And in three years, we are in 110 countries now. Amazing. Very cool. Thanks for that intro. Uh, Sahil, you're next. Tell us about yourself and Bravado. You are muted. Yeah, thanks, man. So much. So glad to, to be here. And thank you for, for having me. This is fun. Um, I'm Sahil, uh, founder and CEO of a company called Bravado. Bravado is the largest professional network for salespeople in the world. Um, we have about 150,000 members, uh, you know, all B2B tech, uh, mostly SaaS sales reps, although some folks who do advertising and stuff. Um, our mission is to make salespeople happier, smarter, and richer. Um, and so we, you know, we, we build bottoms up SaaS uh, tools and community tools for salespeople. I'm a huge sales nerd, uh, spent my entire career in sales prior to doing this. And, uh, uh, you know, really excited. The way I found out about metadata was, uh, you know, you hired a bunch of my former colleagues from Glassdoor um, who are, you know, doing big things and some of the smartest, best salespeople I've ever worked with. Uh, and I love what your product does. So I'm really excited to, to be here. And Gil, you're, you're awesome. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you for, for, for that. Uh, excited, I'm really excited to have you both. Uh, I think you're both doing something very interesting in the, in the market. This is called Category Creators. Not for nothing, we're trying to learn how it is uh, that companies, successful companies, define uh, new categories or stay away from it. That's also a fair, uh, a fair decision to make. Uh, but we also really try to learn about starting companies in general and the founder's journey. So really cool to have both of you. Uh, let's start off with something, uh, something simple. Um, and Sahil, maybe you can start us off. Uh, what is your, you know, briefly, what is your opinion about category creation? Uh, and in particular for Bravado, but it could be also from, from past experience, something that you think, good idea, bad idea, sometimes a good idea. 
Yeah, I think, um, so let me answer the question generally and then I'll tell you specifically with Bravado. Um, so generally, I think it's uh, a good idea to not start with category creation because it's easy to say, oh, we do something like this because when people make decisions about a new product or service, they want uh, a benchmark, right? They, they need a mental model to compare it to. And it's really hard um, to get a hundred emails from a hundred different you know, sales reps saying, we invented this brand new thing. And like, I'm trying to understand where does it fit and where does it work? And so as a founder, my, my bias is I'd rather um, you know, just uh, say, oh, we do what this company does, but better in the early stages. And then I think as you get bigger and then you want to carve out your own space and start to say, oh, well, we've innovated and invented something. But I think in the early days when you're small, it's, it's easier to not try to create a category. But long term, it's a moat that you can use as defensibility. Uh, and then specific to Bravado, um, we had to create our own category because there is no uh, sales community company really that's out there. Like no one, no, there's no venture back company that does what we do. But there are companies that do exactly what we do uh, in other, uh, you know, disciplines. So you, so you basically have, um, you know, things like Stack Overflow for engineers or GitHub for engineers, or you have Doximity for doctors. And so what we do exists in other formats, but nobody does what we do. And that actually makes it really frustrating. It's hard. I would, I wish we had more competitors in some way so that it would be more commonplace for people to understand that like, oh, salespeople belong to this collective or this group or whatever. Um, but, but it hasn't really existed. And so we are forced to create a category um, though, despite the fact that I would prefer not to. Interesting. Okay. So in general, you're against it. It's like, I wouldn't want to do it, but you feel like you had to do it for Bravado because it didn't exist before. Um, I think I actually heard this before. Um, Kamal, what's, what's your thought? Uh, what's your thought about category creation? Like intuitively or, or passive experience? Yeah. If you can do it, do it. This will be the fourth time that I've done this because the purpose of creating the category is not just that you need a category. It's also to be the leader in that category. So to establish leadership, it is absolutely worth the effort. Uh, totally agree with what he's saying that it is so hard as a small young company to start talking about things that nobody has heard of. That is all hard work, no question. <clears throat> but uh, my experience has been that uh, the first time around, of course, it so happened that we got there. But after that, it was all uh, thought through uh, it took several years. It does take three to four years because it's not just that, hey, look what I have and how I di differently I think than everybody else. But you need to then back that up with product that actually reflects that commercial success. So others are looking for it. Then they start asking for it. And then you slowly start to see it take shape. And that's when the analysts and others start writing about it. So all of that takes time. But to me, uh, being a leader is worth it and the effort that goes into it is worth it. That's cool. All right, so we have a good baseline. You both think it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, Sahil, you're doing it uh, because you have to, because you're doing something new. Kamal, you've done it three, four times already and uh, you've seen the value, it's totally worth it. First time was kind of by surprise and afterwards it was totally, uh, totally thought through. So that's, ex that's, that's exciting. I'm also interested to hear about the three to four years uh, before I do, let's do our first cheer uh, so that we, we get into the into the mood. Cheers. Thank you for, for joining. I'm, I'm really enjoying this already. Salute. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about the, um, about the, the period. Uh, you said three to four years. I think this is a very interesting um, tidbit for, for our listeners. Um, how did you come up with that number? Is that, is that just if you just average the last three, four companies, that's, that's how long it took you? Or tell, tell me more about, tell us more about this. Uh, no, it does take minimum that much time if you're a startup. See, the thing is, I don't create a category because I called something different. And just because in my collateral and website, et cetera, is being called something that I'm a category creator, right? To be, because the uh, linchpin here is to be a leader, you need followers. All of that takes time. They will follow you because now you are seeing the commercial success. And in some cases, if it's an enterprise software, RFPs are starting to come out saying, oh, I want those three things. And you have now depositioned competition. That's why they'll start to now line up behind you. Because earlier you mentioned G2 in the intro, right? Uh, Godard's prior company, Steelbrick, was a CPQ company. We were both on Salesforce platform. And we were at Aptis, we were a code to cash company. And we were absolutely killing it. And then finally at Dreamforce, there were like 10 other companies they, who had booths who called themselves Code to Cash. And Godard Steelbreak didn't have four of the other things that they needed. All they had was CPQ. But to him, the market was already established. People were looking for Code to Cash. So it was worth his while to rebrand their company to be that. So that's when you know that it's starting to come together. And all of that, you know, I mean, in my case, it's, uh, I think the reason I'm saying it's three, four years is because in enterprise software, sales cycles can be three, six, nine months long. And you have to have really marquee wins to establish that, oh, if that company does that, because it's all brand association, right? If that company is doing that and they're doing, they're getting this, that is worthwhile. And then personally, my, what motivates me or inspires me is to some extent, the work that was done by Tesla, uh, completely changed the market upside down. Same thing was done by Apple with the iPhone. I actually used to be at Apple. I worked on the Newton product, right? So, and then at that time, Motorola was in it, the wireless business, Ericsson, Nokia, and all the conventional thinking was one of these companies will solve it, right? So PDAs came out, Palm was there. And the challenge there was, it was not taking off, right? Everything was there, but the market was still stagnant or meandering around. And the conventional thinking was the devices are too big, customer acquisition cost is too high, and the networks are too slow. And at that time, it was GSM with 1800 KBPS. Out comes Mr. Steve Jobs and Apple with iPhone. It was bigger than anything else in the market, more expensive than anything in the market, and same network. And suddenly everybody realized this is, this makes sense. This will work, right? So it came together even though incumbents were there. So to uh, Sal's point, it wasn't like they set out creating the market because there were other players. They just figured how to do it better. But all of these things take time, right? Regardless of what the sales cycle is for this to take root, but you have to marry the vision with commercial success. Then it takes off. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Sahil, tell, tell me, tell us a little bit about, about not wanting to create a category, but creating the first network for, for salespeople. 
there's nothing else like that and you find yourself having to do that uh so kind of being pulled into this process versus planning on it when you started the company uh how how did you act like actually in bravado, in bravado like how did you act did you say like all right we're we're gonna do this or did some event happen that you're pulled into it maybe you can describe it a little bit yeah well if i'm not talking uh, if... i'm allowed to keep drinking oh my god yes you're encouraged <laughs> in fact let's cheer again so that you you're not you're not on your own exactly yeah so um i guess you said did i plan on it i mean i never planned on creating a company either you know like i i never had this you know i didn't like grow up with this ambition that like oh i want to be a ceo or whatever um i spent my entire career in sales and uh then i actually moved over to run product and the only reason i was able to do that is because the company that i was building product for was building a product for sales people and i was a customer of this company's And I used to be like the really annoying customer that would bitch and moan and be like, this doesn't make any sense. And why doesn't this work this way? And why doesn't this do this? And why doesn't this do that? Um, and the CEO of the company, you know, was implementing some of the changes that I was suggesting to him. And he was like, oh, you know, every time we add the changes that you mentioned, all of our users are happier. So you actually have a really good vision for what this product should look like. Why don't you come build it here? And that's how I got the job. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to do something different after doing sales for a decade. And so when I got to product, I didn't know anything. You know, I didn't know anything about engineering. I knew I know how to code a little bit because I'm like a nerd, but like, I, you know, I wasn't like good. I never, I didn't know anything about prioritization or whatever. But the amount of resources and learnings that I was able to glean from communities on the internet was unbelievable to me. You know, like I, I took a, a course through this thing called Reforge, which was like a product school. And I met a bunch of other PMs who were able to guide me. And, you know, anytime I made them, anytime I found bugs in our product when I was QA testing, I could just copy the mistake, you know, the, the, the error message and, and into Google and then Stack Overflow would just like magically give me the answer. And I was like, why doesn't this shit exist for sales? Like, why can't I just Google What's the right comp plan for a sales rep uh, who, you know, if my ACV is 150K and, you know, or whatever, like, like every, every company had ever worked at, every salesperson was doing the same shit and they were trying to figure it out on their own. And so to me, it was just like mind blowing how easy it was to ramp up in product and engineering and design versus in sales where you got to like, like, you know, just thrown off the deep end and go figure it out yourself and maybe you listen to your coworkers on a call or something but like there was no there's no there's no certification there's no process or community there's no knowledge center like nothing exists like that for sales there's no professionalism around it and so i was like i just want to build this for myself you know like i wanted to build it because i wanted it to exist in the world because i want i would have wanted it when i started in my career and i talked to some friends and everyone i talked to thought it was a cool idea and wanted to get involved and before i knew it there was a company so I, I tell you that story because, you know, I didn't know what bravado was, right? All I knew was the pain as a user, right? Like I knew what the problem was and I knew what the solution looked like in another industry, but I had no idea what this could look like for sales. And I'll be honest, like I screwed up a bunch of shit. 
you know, like I, like the first version of Bravado came out and you know, it was janky and we just like basically replicated what Stack Overflow had without even putting thought into the fact that like, if you're in sales, you can't just like share comp plan data because you know, like that's sensitive information. Or if you're in sales, you can't just go and like tell stories of how you close deals because those deals could be under NDA. And so like, there's a lot of sensitivity around sales information that doesn't exist for other places. And so, you know, we had to then think about, oh, well, like maybe we need to make it anonymous and like, what does that look like? And so we've had to go through a bunch of iterations to try to figure out what this specific product needs to be for it to work in sales. And then we really hit product market fit. We started getting thousands of users signing up and it became like, you know, it was very clear that Bravado was becoming the thing that every salesperson was joining. And then I had to think about category creation because what would happen is for the first time I, I was seeking distribution, right? Before that I was just building products, but then I had to like seek distribution and people would ask me, so what's bravado? And I didn't even have a way to answer that question. You know, I, I, I was like, oh, it's like a community for salespeople. And they're like, you know, oh, that's weird. You know, because people didn't understand. So then I came up with this clever, I had to do all the work of thinking like, well, what's our mission and how do we serve users? And it ended with me being like, okay, our mission at Bravado is to elevate the profession of sales. We want young kids to aspire to be in sales. And people immediately get that. They're like, yeah, no one ever wants to be in sales. Like people hate salespeople. And I'm like, right. And we're going to fix that. And, and so like, it became this thing where like, we had to think about our category, not as a community for salespeople or as a software platform, but we basically are like the ACLU for sales. You know, we're, we're like a union for salespeople. And our job is to collectively come together, make everyone smarter, make everyone richer, make everyone happier. And so these words, these things I say, weren't endemic to the creation of bravado, but it forced, I got enough people that would stare at me blankly when I'd be like, oh, it's a community for salespeople where you can like share knowledge. And they'd be like, okay, why would I want to do that? Like, so, so. I was failing at my job, which forced me to think about category creation, which in turn unlocked a lot of growth. And I guess that's the long one. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. So you created it uh, because you really wanted it. This kind of, it's a classic story, I think, for a founder to, to create what they wanted themselves. And when you started distributing it or defining it, that's where you, you realize, uh, do, you, do you find yourself alone in that category? Or did you, once you, when you, once you defined it, you found others uh, with you today? There have been, since Bravado launched, there have been like 10 other communities for sales that have popped up. Got it. And all of their websites look kind of similar to Bravado and all of their language looks kind of, kind of what, what Kamal was saying, you know, like it, it, we created a category without thinking about category creation. And now, you know, having a sales community is like a thing to do. It's like a thing that people start. People are like, oh, we're building a sales community. And, um, you know, so I guess the short answer to that is, uh, no, we didn't find anybody that was doing what we were doing because if that had existed, I would have never started Bravado. Like I actually, I had no intention of being a CEO or starting a company. I, I didn't care about any of that. I was happy being a sales guy. I was happy being a product guy. Like I didn't want to be a founder or a CEO. I just fell into this because I was the only person who decided to start this thing. And then I guess I had to run it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So the other 10 companies, like was, is Revenue Collective this kind of? 
Yeah, Revenue Collective you, formed like a year and a half after we started. And beautiful. You know, Got and it. There's, Re there's Rev Genius, which started three years after we started, and, and a bunch it. of others. But 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 to be fair, I think a lot of those things are uh, a very different business model because what they're doing, which I think is interesting in its own right, but just very different from us, is they charge money. You know, like Revenue Collective charges members to be part of the collective, which I think is 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 great. It's a, it's a great small business to run. You know, but it's that, that that's not that's not my goal. You know, my goal is to get 18 million salespeople on Bravado by the end of 2022, 100 million salespeople on by the end of 2023. You're not going to get that if you charge $2,000 a head. So. Got it. Very cool. Uh, you, you know your, your competition differentiation. That's, that's good. Uh, Kamal, yeah, I'm going to go into a different question in, in a moment, but I am curious to know, after doing it four times, you know, three bullet points, no more. What would be your top, you know, not would be when you when you start, you're probably going to start another company. If you already did it four times, start the categories. I'm I'm uh, I would predict that you will do that again when you start a new one and you're like, OK, I'm going to start a category again because that's like the billion dollar business I like to start. Uh, what are the top three things that you're going to immediately, immediately do uh, for category creation? Figure out deep positioning versus differentiation. Second thing is the size of the market. And the third thing is how to establish premium pricing for a premium product. And everything that inspires me, it all is all tied to you take Tesla, you take iPhone, you take all these things. To me, that's the way to go, right? I've done something brilliant and there's value in here, and this is how much better it is. Uh, the main thing here to understand is that first point I made, depositioning versus differentiation. Differentiation is you have 17 features, I have 21 or 13, and my 21 are better than your 17, or my 13 are more important than your 17, right? That's differentiation. That's what's happening right now with ERP companies. They're all pretty much the same. There's nothing, you know, they're all the same. Then comes depositioning, that what I am doing, it is so different that unless you're doing it that way, you will never realize the benefits of the approach that I'm taking. So Salesforce did that with the cloud piece. It was CRM, but his approach was, if it's not based in public cloud, it is not really cloud-based CRM. Everybody else tried, Siebel, et cetera, private hosting, all that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, we are in the cloud, we're hosted somewhere else. They said, no, multi-tenant, hosted in the cloud. If that's not how you're doing it, you're not gonna get the same benefit. That's deep positioning. Here, and then previous companies also, it was saying, okay, I'm solving it this way, but it's born in the cloud. Because then you start to, the differentiation that, yeah, you may try to cobble it together, but it's very different discipline when you're born in the cloud and you grow up like that, where upgrades, et cetera, are all expected to be seamless. Understood. Here, it's about AI. AI is a data company. I mean, you have that, right? I mean, you also know that. For AI, you need data. And yet, most of the enterprise software are all process companies. They actually don't understand data. And that's a very key part on what, what has fueled our uh, growth substantially that we just have a different approach. So the depositioning versus differentiation, I know, actually take Tesla, right? It's the three years ago, 
the only news in there was that they were on their own bursting into flames and it was a nuisance on the roads because they would just uh, have a mind of their own and ram into trees or other cars and now they're the most valued car maker in the world by a factor all these other companies toyota had the money and the technology they chose to focus on a hybrid others didn't think it was big enough they couldn't let go like gm ford everybody was knew it was coming they didn't come into it and look look at where they are right so those are the things and these are all unobvious choices that it wasn't that clear that this thing would be now nearing a trillion dollar company so all of these come to that's why i say that depositioning versus differentiation is the biggest thing because if it's a big market and you're able to establish that sky's the limit on how fast and how big you can grow very interesting uh, you know i've heard it started to um in fact many medina from outreach he was the first to talk about premium pricing he said that he tripled their price by 3x and when the customer would ask uh why would i pay you why the hell are you 3x more more expensive you will tell him well i'm glad you asked and that's his option to tell him essentially deposition the competition uh size of market same i think it was uh launch darkly the cmo of launch darkly uh keith talking about that but the depositioning versus differentiation is new um that's very interesting you know i write notes when i when i do this podcast because i can't help by it But thinking about metadata, uh, you know, and, and what can I learn to, to implement? Uh, and I think it's very interesting, the features to features versus completely different approach. So thank you for that. I think I, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. But before that, let's take another uh, sip of the drink. I know I've been looking at it and haven't. So cheers. Sahil, I think you're going to have to do a, a drink too uh, soon. You're right. You're right. I, I, I tend to put down wine quickly. You can't nurse it. You're at the, oh, nice. You're at the winery, so it's going to happen. They have uh, more. <laughs> that's great. I'm jealous you're at Napa. Napa is beautiful. Um, that's cool. Looks like the weather is nice, too. Um, let's switch gears for a second. Not, not only about category creation. Um, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. But it does have to be in relation to uh, your... your company, your startup. Uh, Sahil, we can start with you. Maybe you can share the biggest hashtag fail moment you had in the last three years. Something just like it really resonates with that hashtag. Just like, fuck, I can't believe this just happened. You, um, you, you're going to need to hold up the drink sign. I got it. I got it. a lot of those it'd be much easier for me to tell you what hasn't failed that'd be a much shorter answer um yeah i look um i think there are there are uh, okay actually i have the, i've got a good answer for you on this um i have a core value of bravado uh which i like to say is death by homicide not death by suicide and so what does that mean what that means is uh the the most likely outcome for all three of our companies is that we are going to fail The most likely outcome for every startup is that you're going to fail. This is, this is the odds, the rules, everyone thinks they're, gonna, they're the exception, but of course, you know, if that was true, then you know, the startup failure rate wouldn't be what it is. Um, and so uh, why do startups fail? 
my experience is that startups fail for one of two reasons. I've worked at seven different companies, uh, two of which have been really successful. I was you know, one of the first 20 employees at Glassdoor and got to see that become like a massive company versus others that had the same potential, but failing down. There's two reasons why companies die. The first is death by homicide. And death by homicide is, you know, you just never quite build the right product or you like think you have the right product, but you miss something. And so like a competitor, you know, comes up with the right product, uh, you know, the market turns away from you, fundraising dries up, uh, you know, um, it, it, you, get, you just get beaten, like someone else builds a better, better company than you. And all of those I'm fine with. I'm okay dying by homicide because, you know, we gave it our best shot and we just lost. What I will never forgive myself for or forgive our team for is if we have death by suicide. And death by suicide is where you let political bullshit in the company or shitty management or, um, you know, not compensating people properly, not investing in people's work-life balance, uh, not creating a culture that people want to be part of. So you basically do things that internally foment discord, which in turn leads to the company failing. Um, and I hold it very near and dear to my heart to say that we will never die by suicide, which I almost did at Bravado. I almost killed this company by suicide without even recognizing what I was doing. So I, we have a, you know, Bravado as a, as a company and, and my nature generally is very positive and I tend to be like very friendly and, you know, our company culture is very jovial and, and whatnot. You know, I would refer to it as like the Bravado family and, and, you know, it has that vibe. We have that vibe as a company. Um, we're building a community. It kind of makes sense. Um, and what that led to was the fact that, you know, let's assume that our team has 50 people in it and 40 of those 50 people are really strong, talented, hardworking folks. And 10 of those people are underperforming at their job. It became a thing at Bravado that the 10 people who are underperforming, people would cover for them instead of holding them accountable, instead of being like, hey, what the fuck, you told me you get me this email by Friday and it's now Monday and it's not in my inbox. People would instead be like, oh, you know, it's okay. Maybe we'll get it by Tuesday or maybe I'll, you know, go ahead and, and, and um, uh, you know, I'll just do the email for you or whatever. And so like the, the, 10, the, the, the bottom 10% of under, 20% of underperformers were getting their work covered up for them by the top performers in the company who were just working 16 hours instead of 14 hours or whatever. And it took me months to figure this out, that, that there was like an underbelly of underperformance at our company. And like, when I heard about what was happening, I felt like such a failure as a CEO, because I was like, how do I not know this? You know, like our company's not that big. We don't have 5,000 employees. Like I know these people every day. How the fuck do I not know that this is happening? But it turns out that in setting a friendly, everyone supports each other, like, you know, find the well, carry the water sort of culture, I had mistakenly created a, a, a belief that to call someone out for not doing their job or to hold people accountable was not part of the DNA of our company. And so people mistook friendly for like, you know, lackadaisical or whatever. And so when I realized what had happened, I basically had to go through and like, first I had to fire like, a, you know, a fifth of the company, which was not easy and fun. We had like no turnover for a long time and, and whatever. And I had to like rip a bunch of people out of the company, scared the shit out of everyone for a little bit. And like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, so he just like got his ax out every day. And, and, but then I, and then I spoke about the experience and whatever. And now the company is in a much, much better place. But I think back to thinking like, I almost killed our company by trying to create a culture that was friendly and supportive. And in doing so, creating a culture that wasn't high performing. 
because we were hitting every goal because like you know our numbers were up tons of funding whatever like it just became like the thing where like this small group of people were just carrying everyone on the team and i instead needed to create a mentality where everyone needed to be as good as those people or you were out and that was hard to do come on it's your turn tell us about your hashtag uh fail moments uh biggest one in the last three years i don't remember any <laughs> If, if they happened I've blocked it out <laughs> it's like that shooters mentality right if you didn't make it let it go move on to the next thing uh, I think there are a couple of things I'll share with you uh, clearly we have had mistakes uh, but the thinking here was we've all had some success so it was less about uh, what if it doesn't work it was all about how to make it work And also we've been fortunate that uh, we've actually always had funding before we actually needed it. So we've stayed ahead of that also. Third thing was knowing what was ahead, we almost did all the hard stuff way before any sensible company would do it. Because for us, actually, one of the things was that if you're going to solve a uh, right career for everyone in the world, uh, let's start with the largest employers in the world. In every country, the largest employer is always a government, right? Now the gestation period to have a solution that you can sell to the government takes two plus years. So when we were so small, we actually started going through all the rigors, all the certification, everything that had to be done. So we put ourselves in a position to actually do it. And then now we have state of Indiana life, state of New York, DOL, all that stuff. So one side is to sort of back yourself that uh, dig into it long term, right? Because I mean, all of you are in Silicon Valley. All overnight successes take about 10 years, right? When you hear, oh, oh, where did that come from? We didn't see that coming. Well, they've been at it for a long time, right? And then it turns and then they get it all right. And you have the critical mass and then boom, you go. So the focus for us has been, and I'm big into learning from military services. So extreme ownership is one of our core values. And one of the things that even way before that, 15, 20 years ago was a US Army slogan that when- Come out, you're gonna to have to forgive me. I'm gonna pull that uh, sign on you just because I, I am, I, not, because, not only because we have 12 minutes left, but because I want, if you can share, something maybe more personal uh something that and you know I, i'm i'm happy to also go if if uh, if need be i was asked one time and i had to i had to do it but i would love to hear something that happened that is that you didn't expect i didn't plan on and was a, just a fluke but a fluke that you lost sleep on it could even be more Actually, more the personal side it- Here's what I'll share. Last year, COVID was difficult. Yep. Our entire sales playbook is all about being in front of the customer, building trust. And so, right, it's an enterprise sales cycle. So you don't sit on the phone and sell because our deals are big. Half a million, million, several million, all that stuff, long-term deals. So when everybody was sent home, that was a major adjustment to be made. It was that oh shit moment that you're looking for. But the thing was, we actually ended up working with McKinsey to have a hackathon to create an exchange. 
for people who were impacted by COVID and companies that were actually still looking to hire or some had to let go. And over a couple of weekends and nonstop work across three continents, our team pulled it together. Now that solution, so it was, it was that we didn't know where that would go, nor did we know how long COVID would run. But that innovation is now in the hands of State of Indiana, State of New York, Department of Labor for Veterans, all of that stuff. So none of it was planned. We were busy actually solving hiring internal mobility, divert DNI, all of that. Second thing that fell in place, and three years ago, we can solve DNI, right? We know how to identify potential in people, and that's how you actually hire and promote for potential. That was the second one where last year, although people had a good intent in lip service, nothing was actually happening on DNI. Last summer, it changed. And we had it, but we had almost sort of taken it as a nice thing to do versus the first thing to do. And now it has become first thing to do. So we were simply in the right place, ready with the solution when the world finally realized that we have to think differently and commit to DNI. Those would be to do where neither of them, we saw it coming, nor did we plan. We dealt with it and here we are. That's fair. I think that's a, a, a hashtag fail moment that became a success is always a good one. Thank you for sharing it. And, and... Cheers to that. I, we have 10, 10 minutes late. I'd love to hear, uh, to get a little bit more, more personal into your founder journey. Um, Jamal, this is not your first company. Uh, Zahil, you said you, were, you're, you really didn't want to, didn't plan on it. It just happened. Um, Zahil, maybe, maybe you can come for, maybe you, you can, you can uh, answer first. Who, you know, out of, out of all the experiences that you had uh, starting, a, starting a company, starting a startup, what is the number one thing that you were completely surprised? You know, not like, not like a TechCrunch interview or Saster kind of jam, but truly something that you were not prepared for that you had to go through um, personally or professionally starting a company. Yeah, uh, I can share one each. How about that? One, one personal, one professional. Um, the, uh, I'll start with the, the personal one. Um, I always thought that I really cared about my job. And I thought that I cared a lot about the success of the, the work that I did, because I felt like if, you know, I was, when I was an AE to when I was a sales manager, or VP of sales, you know, CRO, whatever, like, I always felt like whatever was my number that I was assigned like if we didn't hit that number, I took it personally. You know, that I, like the my, like the Michael Jordan meme. You know, and I took that personally. Um, and so and so that was really important to me. I never understood at what level I could get stressed uh, about the performance of a company because in a company something's always going wrong. Like in sales, there's times when things are going great. You're above quota pipelines building, you've hired a great candidate and you can like chill. At a company, there's no chill. There's literally always something that is fucking broken that like is an issue. And in fact, there's this great, um, uh, there's this great interview that um, uh, Reed Hoffman did on Masters of Scale about let, letting fires burn. And it's basically like 
you know, as a, as a founder, you see like the kitchen's on fire, the closet's on fire, the front door's on fire, the bedroom's on fire. And you should be like, well, if the kitchen stays on fire, it's going to blow the gas and the whole house is going to come down. So let me go put that out first. And you have to be comfortable letting the other fires burn because you can only solve so many things at once, you know? And so that to me was maybe the hardest thing was knowing that we were failing at stuff and being okay with it took a tremendous amount of mental strain for me tremendous mental strain. I started sleeping really poorly. I started eating really poorly, I started drinking a lot. I, you know, became moody. Like it basically took a toll on me that I could not have even imagined when I started a company. And it really took a renewed emphasis on meditation, on being physically active and working out, on not drinking outside of, you know, doing podcasts with you guys. Um, and, and uh, you know, like really putting some, some rigor into my personal life so that I could bring my best self to work. Um, so I think that's the personal one. Professionally, um, it, it's, it's a similar answer, but just a, a different take of it. Um, I used to celebrate successes and it's really hard to do that as a founder because you know the next hill to climb, you know, you're like, okay, we just raised this big round of funding. Now shit, we got to live up to that valuation or, you know, oh cool, we just hired this great candidate and like, she's going to come in and run all the product for us. But I know she's going to want to hire a bunch of people and like, I want to make a good impression. Like, so no matter what win you have, your eyes immediately jump to the next challenge and learning to appreciate and savor the wins instead of just constantly racing for the next thing uh, has been both challenging, but also incredibly rewarding um, as I've started to figure it out. Whereas, you know, in sales, we hit quota and I basically just like checked out, you know, I was like, cool, done, got my job done. I can go sit on a beach. Like there's no fucking beach for founders, you know, like there's always another fire to put out and being okay with accepting that and then still being able to, to both have fun with your team and not be a fucking wrecking ball of stress for your team, I think is really critical and something that took a lot of learning. This is great advice. Um, thank you for that. Um, come on, what's what's yours? You know, you you have so much experience. You've started a few companies. One, you know, the 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 one thing you were you were not 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 prepared for, or maybe even on your fourth company, you you still struggle with. I think uh, Sahil actually laid it out very well. Uh, thing that I've slowly started to do is always similar to what he said always appreciated what got done. It's very easy to immediately jump into what didn't get done or what wasn't right, because that is what breaks people's hearts and spirits much faster. If you're always just talking about that. So same thing that what did happen, absolutely acknowledge it because that just hardens the team that, okay, we can do better. And that then let go there. So that part is there. Second part is accounting for time. And actually Benioff has this notion, right? That especially founders, entrepreneurs, founders often overestimate what they can do in one year, but underestimate what they'll be able to do in three to five years. So you need to have that patience and keep at it. And that's what allows you to actually ignore some of the smaller failures or letting things evolve. You do need 10 more people. When they come and they're ramped up, they will contribute. And you can't just keep tripping on trying to go faster than that because you're not going to get there. You're just going to make a lot of noise. So those things, and it's easier said than done. It's almost like sometimes you need to take time out. For me, the time out used to come on long flights and now even those aren't there. <laughs> so look, nothing is easy. You just have to believe and stay with it. 
uh, and then things come together. I love those answers. You, uh, I, I was mentioning before, you know, I am taking notes. Uh, I have proof. Uh, this is to me uh, a lesson or a bunch of lessons. It is easier said than done. Uh, Sahil, you've been in sales, so you, you've managed your psyche there a long, long time. Kamal, you've started like several companies, so you've, you've done this before. I think one of the characteristics of founders is that uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think some of the one of the characteristics is sometimes we're never happy with the results. We're always, yeah, we win, and then we we work so hard to win, then we win, and then the split second afterwards, we already forgotten about it completely. Yeah, like it's done already. We won. Yeah, I was aiming for it. It's won. It's done. Now let's tackle the next one. And without a brief moment to celebrate, uh, is is uh, is tough. I am learning that definitely. Uh, Olivier is good at that, by the way, Sahil. You know that Olivier is really good at celebration. So uh, I think it's very, very good advice. He's for, too good at celebration. He's too good at celebrating, right? He's celebrating all the time. <laughs> no, he's, he's great at it. He truly is. Uh, that's cool. This is really good. Um, we have just a couple of minutes left. Um, one, maybe, maybe you, can, you can each share one thing that is not, is maybe a, a truth an absolute truth that you know that no one else knows that is not on disaster and and uh, of the world in interviews of the world or or the other way around or or a, a perceived notion that you know to be bullshit to be completely untrue that you've experienced it on your own skin um kamal you you first uh you're smiling so i feel like you have something in your mind yeah don't but the, just the way you were laying out the question about bullshit and you know, <laughs> uh, actually the main thing I talk, uh, I do believe is the hardest thing to do is get alignment between everyone, including VCs, if you've taken outside money. Because keep in mind, their batting averages are very low, right? One or two in 10, maybe they are successful, their investments. So that alignment that you need to be that one or two, because I know way too many people who if you, they think you're not gonna to go too far, they're there to actually kill your company faster than you are ready to kill it, right? So both the homicide, whatever <laughs> Sahil was sharing happens fast. And that's the main part, how do you get alignment? And when things aren't aligned, I just look for that. That to me is the bullshit meter when people are solving for different things. That's what breaks things apart. Very helpful. Thank you. Sahil. Yeah. Um, I think that I've worked now at, uh, you know, as I said, six different startups, every single one I joined sub 30, 40 employees, um, and then founded my own at Bravado. Um, and one thing that's really clear to me is nobody actually knows what's going to make the company successful. Like everyone thinks they know right. like, oh yeah, like this is how we're going to build it. And no, no one has any fucking idea. The yeah. only test, so, okay, I, I, this is in every, so this advice is really, really um, uh, commonly uh, said, but I don't think people follow, uh, which is, you know, Y Combinator has a motto. It's only four words. It's a beautiful motto. Uh, y Combinator's motto is make something people want. That's it, right? Make something people want. Nobody knows what people want. I don't care if you're Elon Musk or Steve Jobs because they ship shitty products that nobody wanted to, okay? So like, let's be clear. Nobody knows what people want. 
But what I think great companies do really well is they're really, really good at figuring that out. And when they, um, and when they, 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 they smell it, they, they sense it, you know, they know when to lean in. And I think that too many founders, too many companies get stuck on the wrong idea for too long. You know, they, they, they spend so much time wasting cycles on something that like clearly the market doesn't want. And if there's something I'm proud of at Bravado, um, honestly, uh, you know, I, I, I really feel that the thing that we've done best at Bravado is not let my ego get in the way of the success of the company. I've been wrong about everything. I've been wrong about the community. I've been wrong about salespeople. I've been wrong about this and that, but it never stopped us from actually getting to product market fit, from actually building what users wanted because I never had pride over me being the person to find the answer. I just had pride over finding the answer. And so to me, it's like the most obvious answer and then not, which is to say that the most obvious answer is that you got to make something people want, but it's really hard to do that because you have to remember that you don't know what people want. And I think that's my answer to that. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you. That was great advice. Uh, I think very personal too. So thank you. Cheers again. Thank you for being guests. It was fun. I learned a lot. I wrote at least seven lessons. So that's a lot. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your weekend and um i hope to get a chance to talk to you again thank you folks enjoyed it thanks for having me good meeting you thank you, you. Thank you congratulations Kamal. on all your success amazing cheers thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. thanks again for joining us i hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and we'll tune in again find all the b2b category creators episodes at metadata.io and if you have any feedback topics or would like to be a guest on the show please reach out